I think also there's a, a premium that comes to leasing space to marijuana growers. Obviously, there's a lot more risk involved. It still is illegal federally. You don't want to be involved. So I think uh, if you are an owner and you uh, would be interested in having one of those tenants, you could probably uh, double or triple the asking rent of what you would get from a more traditional user. Hello and welcome to Pillars of Wealth Creation, where we talk about creating financial success with a special focus on business and real estate. I'm your host, Todd Dexheimer. Now, let's get to it. Hey, our sponsor for the show today is Pine Financial Group, the leader in hard money lending in Colorado and Minnesota, and they were recently approved to offer their investment publicly. This investment offers only for investors in Colorado and Minnesota and is only made through their investment prospectus. Get your copy today. Simply visit www.pineinvestments.com and click to get started. Look, there's a reason why some of the wealthiest people in history invest in loans backed by real estate. Learn more about the risks and returns at www.pineinvestments.com. Hello, welcome back to Pillars of Wealth Creation. I'm your host, Todd Dexammer, and with me today, I've got Mike Roselle. Mike, how are you doing today? Doing very well. How are you? I am fantastic. So, Mike, a little bit about him. He's with CoStar and brings nearly 20 years of industry experience and expertise. He joined CoStar Group in 2017 from Colliers International, where he was the director of national office research. Throughout his career, he's focused on analyzing commercial property trends and economic drivers to deliver timely market projections to brokers and clients with the dedication to excellence in analytics, data management, and quality assurance. Uh, so a lot of data. It looks like you're digesting data every single day, which is fantastic. And I want to spend some of today's episode on that. Um, and with CoStar, you guys, for, for the listeners who don't know what CoStar is, I guess I'll let you just kind of give a, a little like snapshot. What is, what is CoStar? What do you guys do? Why, why, are, you, uh, why are you important? Sure. <laughs> uh, well, CoStar is a, the leading provider of commercial real estate information and analytics. Uh, so broadly, we cover uh, all, the, all four uh, major asset types, multifamily, office, industrial, retail. Um, we uh, have subsidiary companies as well. We own uh, apartments.com. Uh, which enables uh, us to have uh, a really extensive amount uh, of information, particularly on the multifamily sector, which, uh, which I know we're going to be discussing uh, today. Uh, so, uh, you know, in the Twin Cities alone, we get about 40,000 rent observations per day uh, based on our agreements through, through CoStar.com. So we really have a wealth of information there. Uh, the brokerage uh, community can use it uh, to put up any space listings they may have. Um, brokers, analysts, lenders, developer, developers will use our product uh, for the analytics, for our market reports, to look at historical trends, our forecasts, uh, to get a picture of where the market is, where the market was, uh, where the market is going, uh, as well as our economic information. Uh, so of course, economics informs pretty much everything in commercial real estate. Uh, job creation leads to uh, new household formation, which leads to an apartment unit rented which leads to a vacation and a hotel room occupied, which leads to uh, also uh, some more uh, uh, 
expendable dollars, uh, so retail and industrial throughput. So all of that really ties in uh, to, to what we can provide to our clients. Awesome, awesome. And obviously we can never predict the future, but what is CoStar trying to do today to try to help predict that future and to give clients the opportunity to be able to maybe make the best informed decisions on not only what's happening today, but what might be happening in the future? Sure. Uh, on the economics side, uh, we partner with Oxford Economics uh, for their data. Uh, we rely on their base case forecast to look at future projections, uh, including job growth, employment, um, median income, all, all of those different economic variables. Uh, we do offer our clients alternate scenarios. So if you feel that the base case is not the, likely, the most likely scenario, uh, we do give multiple options for a trend case scenario, which basically takes the trend over the last three, three years and carries it forward. We also offer upside and downside scenarios as well. So you can customize it uh, to what you feel uh, or just go ahead with the base case. And then in terms of uh, fundamentals, real estate fundamentals, uh, we use our data, we use the history, and uh, we have a team of uh, quantitative analysts. Uh, who then uses models to predict what's going to happen in terms of vacancy rates, in terms of asking rents. Uh, we use the same store rent series to do that. So it's not a space-occupied uh, rental scenario. It's, it's actual rents in the same properties quarter after quarter, year after year, which gives you a truer picture of what the market's doing and where it may go. Awesome. Awesome. A lot of good information. I don't know. I've definitely uh, relied on a lot of co-star reports and and the information the brokers definitely provide which is typically co-star uh, every right. time it is so um let's talk a little bit about what's going on in today's real estate market um we can uh, let, let's maybe cover the gamut of the uh four main areas and if you want to i don't know obviously you're we're Twin Cities based, you're Twin Cities based, we can cover nationwide, or you can just hone it down to Twin Cities, whatever you feel more comfortable with. But let's talk about the, the four a little bit, maybe some of the trends, some of the positive trends, and maybe even some of the negative trends on the, uh, on the four uh, categories. Sure. Uh, maybe we'll start with, uh, with retail, since that seems to be getting a lot of, <laughs> a lot of press recently yeah. uh, in terms of e-commerce. Um, you know, we've heard a lot about, uh, the death of the brick and mortar retail uh, mm -hmm. sector. Uh, I think stories of that demise may, may be overstated a bit. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, e-commerce is certainly uh, certainly a threat, and it's certainly had a tremendous impact not only in the Twin Cities but nationwide. You know, that's undeniable. Uh, but I think there's real opportunities, and I think what it's forced to do, what it, uh, what it's forced brick and mortar retailers to do was really refresh their brands, uh, refresh their inventory, and take a fresh look at what today's consumers actually want. Uh, and I think it's made brick and mortar retailers better. Uh, and those who have adapted, refresh their brand, refresh their inventories, offer what today's consumer wants, have been succeeding. Uh, and those who haven't, uh, well, I think we've seen the stories. Uh, I, I think quite frankly, I'm, I'm surprised Sears has lasted this long. Uh, you know, they, they've offered the same uh, array of merchandise essentially for the last 20 to 30 years and maybe longer buying maybe longer uh, and you know, nobody was interested in that anymore uh, they wanted a different way to shop they wanted different goods they wanted different experiences so you know I think you've seen that story you know I think retailers have also been forced 
to maybe right size, not necessarily downsize, but right size, um, you know, and focus really more on their better performing, well-located stores and allocating more resources to those and closing some of the less well-located, uh, poor performing stores. So, you know, I think ultimately it's been better for the retailers' bottom lines. Certainly experiential retail is, uh, is all the rage. Uh, it offers things that the internet still can't provide. Uh, and I think, uh, you know, you're seeing that even with our homegrown company, Best Buy. Uh, I think a lot of people may have written Best Buy off a few years ago and thought, well, you know, Amazon's going to dominate in terms of selling TV and, and electronics. Uh, but they've really refreshed what they do. I think it was smart of them, A, to partner with Amazon in selling TVs. And also their whole Geek Squad concept, where they offer a bundle of services now. So you can go to a Best Buy, you can get your new big screen TV, have Geek Squad come out, they'll mount it on the wall for you, connect your uh, you know, surround sound system for you. Um, and they, you know, they recently launched a around-the-clock 24-7 tech support program as well. So if you're having you know, problems with your laptop or any of the tech you purchased, that's available. So I think you know, they've really turned around what they were doing and focused more on you know, offering those services to the consumer rather than just the goods. And, and again, that's something that the internet can't offer. Um, so I think, you know, there are opportunities, um, you know, different niche experiences, uh, you know, in, in St. Paul, there's the camp in Wonderland. Uh, so I think, you know, the, some, some bars that offer ax throwing now. Uh, so those kind of experiences that, uh, that again, can't be replicated online seem to be doing well, uh, as well as, a uh, discount retailers. So your, your Saxoff fifth, uh, your Nordstrom rack. Uh, those are seeing great success as well. I, I think the market's a little bit bifurcated uh, in that your, your ultra luxury uh, centers and stores and, and malls around the country are doing really well uh, and your sort of discounters are doing really well. And those commodity malls, those class B type assets um, are in performing as well. Interesting. So yeah. it's, it's, it's more of the, yeah. So, so either by A or by C. <laughs> Still in the middle. yeah um what are we seeing as far as uh, occupancy trends as far as rent trends are we increasing on rents are we increasing on occupancy or are we decreasing what are we seeing there yeah rents here in the twin cities have been uh been virtually flat uh, over the past few years so we haven't really seen uh strong rent gains uh, in terms of asking rent. Occupancy, however, remains remarkably strong. Uh, you know, we're not seeing widespread market-wide double-digit vacancies. Um, and I think despite uh, the lack of rent growth, uh, investment activity has been uh, fairly strong in the retail sector here. Uh, I think investors are still attracted uh, to retail centers. We've seen strong investment volume over the past few years. So I think maybe what you may sacrifice uh, in rent growth, uh, you're recapturing and going in yields. So I think that's attractive to some investors. Yeah, definitely. What what kind of, um, maybe you don't have this off the top of your head, but what kind of cap rates are you seeing on a just a typical, let's call it B-class uh, building? You know, they again, they, they vary widely, but, you know, you, you could see cap rates uh, probably in the 8% range. Okay. All right. Well, let's go on to uh, maybe industrial. Sure. 
Uh, industrial, uh, another red hot sector here, uh, in addition to multifamily, but uh, obviously e-commerce uh, is driving a lot of that growth as the worlds of retail and e-commerce continue to converge. Uh, and while, while the Twin Cities isn't really a, a regional or national logistics hub, uh, you know, it, it, very, uh, it is very important for those last mile distribution centers uh, to deliver the goods as we've all become used to uh, ordering something online and it went from expecting it to two days to the next day to now within two hours. Uh, so as consumer expectations uh, have shortened in terms of delivery time, uh, you certainly need to build out um, a better logistics hub to, to enable that to happen. So uh, I think certainly we're seeing a lot of growth in the logistics sector. Uh, what's interesting uh, is the specialized sector, which includes things like cold storage facilities. I think that's something to keep an eye on uh, looking ahead as the worlds of e-commerce and groceries uh, converge. It's really still in its infancy. I think only around you know, 2% of groceries uh, or grocery shopping is done online now, you know, despite all the hype it's been getting. It's still a very minimal portion. But I think we're going to continue to see that grow. And in order for that to grow, you're going to need cold storage facilities, obviously, to keep the goods fresh while they're being transported. And really, uh, not only here, but around the country, not a lot of those facilities exist and not a lot have been built over the last few years. Uh, so I think as demand continues to increase, uh, there could be some real opportunities there uh, in terms of building or investing in cold storage facilities. Um, you know, despite uh, the winters we have here in Minnesota, it is still necessary. Uh, <laughs> Uh, to keep those goods fresh. But I think that's an opportunity industrial. Um, I think uh, another interesting potential opportunity uh, could be if somewhere along the line, uh, the state legalizes re recreational marijuana use. Uh, I think we've seen uh, in, in other markets that have, uh, that have gone that route. Uh, there's a lot of initial demand, uh, increased demand for, uh, for industrial space, warehouse space. I was just in Denver uh, and speaking with some folks there about it. Uh, I think also there's a, a premium that comes to leasing space to marijuana growers. Obviously, there's a lot more risk involved. It still is illegal federally. Don't want to be involved. So I think uh, if you are an owner and you uh, would be interested in having one of those tenants, you could probably uh, double or triple the asking rent of what you would get from a more traditional user. Wow! Wow! Yeah. So something to keep an eye on, definitely. What? Uh... Well, how about their rents? What's happening with the rents? What's happening with occupancy? And uh, where are we looking at cap rates uh, approximately for like a B class? Yeah, I think we're seeing solid rent growth. Uh, we're seeing some of the strongest rent growth uh, in the last decade uh, over the past couple of years. So, you know, we're looking at, you know, three, 4% range uh, for annual rent growth in the industrial sector, which which may not sound like much, uh, but for this market, uh, that's particularly strong. The long-term uh, uh, average growth rate uh, in the industrial sector has probably been 2% or below. So those three to 4% numbers we've been seeing recently are, uh, are pretty strong for this market. Uh, you know, we're not a coastal port city, so we're never going to see those 12, 13, 14% gains that, uh, that we're seeing in some of the markets in California, but this market's never performed in that way. So we should in, in any sector, quite frankly. Right. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. So I think three to 4%, it's strong and it's manageable going forward long-term rather than, than a boom and bust sort of, uh, uh example. Yeah. Uh, in terms of cap rates, uh, I would characterize this, uh, it's probably a, a get what you pay for market. Um, again, 
you know, long-term rent growth has been a little slower. So you're looking at, you know, higher yields uh, to make up for that fact. So, you know, again, I, I would say probably uh, in the 7% range uh, would, would be a fair number. What kind of, is occupancy strong? Is it, uh, we look at it in 80s, yeah. 90s? What are we, where are we at? Yeah, absolutely. Occupancy is very strong. I'd say above 90%. Um, okay. Uh, you know, tenants certainly have, uh, have had trouble expanding within their current facilities. So I think uh, that's what spurred a lot of the build to suit construction we've seen over the past few years. And we've even seen uh, a fair amount of spec construction. Yeah. Uh, and that's, that's done very well. It's leased up pretty quickly. So uh, I think the demand is out there uh, for bigger, uh, larger sheds uh, with ever higher ceiling heights. Uh, so I think as big as you can build it, uh, you'll find demand for it. Hmm. Cool. Um, let's move on to office. What do we see in there? What's, uh, what's going on with the office space? Yeah, office is, uh, uh, it's steady. Uh, I wouldn't characterize it as a hot market here. Uh, but I'd say it's steady. Uh, I think there's a lot of tenant churn. Um, I think, uh, those landlords that have newer class A four and five star assets or have newly renovated product, uh, are at a competitive advantage. Uh, I think tenants are looking for the latest and greatest in terms of amenities. Uh, with an unemployment rate in the metro, you know, at or below 3%, uh, the talent war is very real here. Uh, so having office space that will enable uh, a corporation to retain and recruit their employees, I think is paramount. It's very difficult uh, for employers to abandon hire people. Uh, we're just literally running out of people here in the metro to hire. So. Um, it's become paramount to have the latest uh, in office space and office space design. You know, uh, I think some of those deep suburban office parks uh, in the 1980s vintage that you know haven't been updated. You know, you wonder really what what do they have left to offer and what are they going to turn into? Because I, I don't know that they're really that competitive uh, going ahead. So maybe a, a repurposement might be might be the highest and best of those. Um, is there a lot of, uh, you just mentioned the 1980s or 70s, even uh, office building. Uh, and But at the same breath, you mentioned that people want these newly renovated ones. Is there a lot of opportunity in taking one of those tired old buildings that hasn't been touched since 1974 and uh, renovating the thing and putting in new baths and lighting and all that kind of stuff? Or is that really not that lucrative? You know, I, I think there is value add opportunity there. It depends on the asset. It depends on its location. Hmm. Um, you know, I think you need to be well located near one of the major highways. So, you know, if you're in the 394, 494 corridor or in one of the CBDs, I think that's attractive. But uh, if you're an isolated office campus that doesn't offer good proximity to the major corridors or have public transportation options, uh, it might be hard to attract tenants there. Yeah, And I think really for all the talk that everybody wants to work in the Minneapolis CBD and is moving to Minneapolis CBD, I think to some degree there is some truth to that. But I think that parking is a real issue. I think it's, it's you know, not just, not just a casual throwaway line, but it's, it's become a real problem. And I think, you know, well-located modern suburban assets, you know, can have a leg up in a lot of times when they could offer ample free parking. Uh, you know, in the CBD, I work in the CBD every day. Um, 
and you know, more and more uh, surface lots are becoming multifamily buildings. They're tearing down decks. So, um, you know, until we either get a fully robust public transportation system where people, uh, you know, in all the inner ring suburbs can take advantage of it uh, or something shifts, I, I don't think uh, this is going to be a metro that, uh, that ever gives up cars. And I think particularly uh, I'm a proponent of public transportation, but I understand it's not for everybody. If you drop your kids off at school and they have soccer practice and you have to pick them up, um, you know, your only uh, option is to drive a car to do that. So uh, I think for as much as larger locations want to have a CBD presence, um, I, I think there's also a good argument to be made that, uh, again, the death of the suburban office campus uh, is greatly overstated as well. What are we seeing uh, for occupancy and uh, rent growth there? You know, Occupancy, it's uh, vacancy rate is, is a little bit higher. You know, we're probably pushing in the double digit range. Um, and that, that depends on what you account for. If you subtract all the single tenant buildings, all the owner occupied buildings, all the government owned buildings, you know, we're probably in the teens in terms of vacancy rate. Uh, if you include all stock, it's, it's a little bit lower. Uh, so it depends on how you want to slice the data. Yeah. Um, you know, rent growth has been uh, surprisingly good over the past few years. Uh, and I think, uh, you know, that leads to a couple of questions. Um, you know, on the face of it, is the market really that strong with such a high vacancy rate that landlords can push rents? Or are those asking rent increases masking very generous concession packages to fill the building? Mm. So are we seeing, you know, a year, 18 months of free rent? you know, 60, 70, $80 a square foot in TIs, uh, that's covering up those asking rent increases. You know, on the other hand, or are those asking rent increases just being driven by a handful of new or newly renovated buildings that is kind of lifting uh, the tide for all boats there? Uh, so, you know, it's, it's definitely worthy of a discussion on, on what's really driving those rent gains. Is it, you know, a really tight market that's very healthy or are there a lot of giveaways on the back end? What are we seeing a uh, cap rate uh, on a, like a B class uh, office? Uh, I'd say probably seven, mid seven percent range for for B class. Hey, let's take a minute to thank our sponsor, Pine Financial Group. Look, you work hard for your money. Is your money working hard for you? Because of inflation, money sitting idle erodes your wealth. Many investors understand that real estate is a great investment, but may not want the effort or the risk that comes with owning their own property. They want to sit back and have payments, hit their bank account each and every month. Stop eroding your wealth and start building by asking your money to work for you. You should be earning profits while you sleep in investment backed by real estate. Pine Financial Group, the leader in hard money lending in Colorado and Minnesota, was recently approved to offer their investment publicly. This investment offers only for investors in Colorado and Minnesota and is only made through the investment prospectus. Get your copy today. Simply visit www.pineinvestments.com and click to get started. There's a reason why some of the wealthiest people in history invest in loans backed by real estate. Learn more about the risks and returns at www.pineinvestments.com. It's www.pineinvestments.com. Let's dive into my favorite, multifamily. Let's do this. I got a lot of questions here. 
Great. Yeah, multifamily uh, continues to be uh, incredibly strong uh, here in the Twin Cities. Uh, I think the fundamentals uh, have been performing terrifically through mid-year. They remain very strong. You know, the vacancy rate, uh, you know, is in the 4% range, one of the lowest in the entire country. Uh, Mid-year, uh, we had rent growth numbers at 3.6%, very strong again. We've seen growth uh, in the mid 3% range for the past several years. Uh, and again, so that's for, for people that are listening from outside of our state, that's really strong for Minnesota because we're typically seeing inflationary rates and that's it. We're seeing that, you know, one to 2% typically. Right. Yeah. Historically, the, the, the trend growth has been much lower. So this has been an exceptional run of rent growth here over the past seven, eight years. Yeah. Um, in terms of supply, uh, despite all the cranes we continue to see uh, in the sky and, and the, and the uh, deliveries every year, uh, I would argue that we, re we remain undersupplied as a metro. Uh, I think you know, construction really didn't ramp up in the metro until around 2013, 2014. Uh, so we kind of got a late start heading into this recovery. Not a lot was built prior to that. So yeah. uh, we're making up for lost time as best we can. Uh, and in terms of total percent of inventory under construction, which is uh, an interesting metric, uh, the Minneapolis Metro has about 5% of the total inventory here uh, that's currently under construction. So it's a very manageable amount when you put that in perspective to some other metros around the country. Uh, I know Denver, uh, for one, Stanford, Connecticut, uh, a few others around the country were pushing double digits, so 10, 11, 12% of total inventory under construction. And that, that's a lot of supply. So I'd be much more concerned about some of those other areas uh, than the amount of supply we have here. Are we seeing, uh, when we talk about supply, do you, do you have the, the numbers, what we're seeing as far as supply coming in um, this year? Yeah, I think uh, we should be uh, in the 5,000 unit range, uh, pretty close to where we were in 2018. Um, there's a strong pipeline ahead for 2020 as well. So, um, you know, I, I think developers, uh, you know, certainly are, are active. Uh, they don't see um, uh, a major slowdown coming in terms of demand. You know, I, I would say that if we do run into economic headwinds in the next 12 to 24 months, uh, we're still pretty well positioned. You know, our forecasts don't call for dramatic reversals. So even if we buy into the base case scenario of slowing job growth, um, you know, we see the vacancy rate just going back up to the historical average of uh, the mid five to 6% range. So it's not gonna spiral out of control here in our estimation. Uh, and rent growth uh, certainly is anticipated to slow should job growth slow. But again, we don't see market-wide negative rent growth on the horizon even in that scenario. So uh, yeah. I, I think we're in a good place. What so we got five thousand new units? Do you know how much uh, how much growth we're having as far as household growth? Uh, off the top of my head, uh, I don't have the uh, exact growth number there. Um, I do know that particularly in the uh, CBD, the Minneapolis CBD, uh, I think between twenty ten and twenty eighteen, I was looking at the Met Council numbers. Uh, Minneapolis grew by about 12 percent. So there's about 430,000 residents there uh, in the Minneapolis core. St. Paul grew by about 10 uh, percent. 
Uh, and this isn't limited just to, to the core areas, you know, areas like Lakeville uh, have seen double digit percents in population growth. So um, I think we are seeing uh, strong household growth. And I think that's a result of our, our tight labor market. Uh, obviously, more job creation creates new households. Uh, so if you were sharing uh, an apartment with a friend, uh, you get a job at one of the high paying uh, Fortune 500 companies in the area. You're going to strike out and get, get your own apartment or move out of mom and dad's house and, and start your own household as well. What, uh, where are we at? So you already said vacancies were, and rent growth. Where are we at with, uh, with cap rates of the various uh, A, A, B, and C product? Yeah, uh, again, that, that really, really varies um, depending on asset class and depending on the individual deal, if it's a value-add deal, if it's a core yeah. plus deal. Yeah. Uh, so it, it could really be all over the board, and, and sometimes it could be a little bit misleading depending on the uh, you know, underlying factors of what, what the deal is. But um, you know, I, I would say 6% is probably a, a rough market-wide average. Um. Do you know what that compares to what more of a historical, because obviously caps are compressed everywhere. What's that, what's that compared to more historical in the Twin Cities? Yeah, cap rates have compressed pretty significantly. Uh, we were, you know, we were probably uh, in the 8% range um, not terribly long ago. So if you looked at the early part of this expansion, uh, they were probably in the 8, 8 plus percent range. So, uh, you know, they've come down, I, I would estimate, you know, close to, to 200 basis points, which is uh, pretty significant. You know, uh, again, very, very significant for this market, uh, you know, in terms of what we're seeing around the country, uh, New York, L.A., some of those gateway markets, you know, trophy assets could be trading at a sub four cap. So yep. uh, it, it's all relative. And I, and I think that's why you're seeing a lot of out of state and investment capital coming into this market, uh, because even though cap rates have compressed, uh, they're still uh, much more attractive than they are in some of the primary uh, gateway cities around the country. So the Minneapolis market is, uh, is no longer the best kept secret uh, in the country. I think uh, investment capital has definitely discovered it and, and found their way here. Yeah, I, I heard a statistic, and I don't know how accurate this is, but uh, I heard a statistic that 87% of all the apartments in the Twin Cities are owned by local owners and uh and that was by a broker who said that their last that this year they sold eight deals over 100 units and seven out of those eight were bought by out-of-state investors <laughs> yeah i i would believe that absolutely i i think uh you know typically as uh, the expansion economic expansion gets a little uh, older uh, a lot more out-of-state capital comes in here looking for value i think a lot of local owners become sellers uh, realizing that uh, we the market may be a little frothy, and then typically in, in times of economic uh, slowdowns, uh, the local owners jump back in because they realize the actual value of the assets, and, and they'll typically become buyers in, in downturns. So yeah. it's, it's it's interesting, and you know I, I also think there's a different dynamic uh, in how they manage the properties. I think local owners, by and large, tend to be more concerned about maintaining high occupancy and aren't necessarily going to push for every last penny of rent growth where institutional owners will come in and, uh, and are willing to sacrifice occupancy in favor of uh, very strong rent growth. So just different models and how they're managed. Yeah, definitely. 
Well, let's talk a little bit about the overall kind of economy, what's going on, what you're seeing, um, so maybe some trends that are happening uh, either that are positive or maybe concerning as well. Yeah, uh, you know, I think uh, we're getting a lot of mixed messages uh, mm, on how definitely. we're doing nationally. Um, you know, looking at this uh, as objectively as I can, I don't see any major red flashing lights uh, that uh, a recession is imminent. Uh, you know, the stock market uh, continues to perform well. Uh, the S&P broke 3,000, I believe, for the first time in history this year. Uh, wages are increasing. Unemployment rate uh, is at historic lows. Uh, so if you look uh, at, at those factors, we're doing pretty well. Um, and there's no reason to believe that that's necessarily going to change uh, anytime shortly. You know, that being said, there is a lot of geopolitical risk out there and the great unknowns. Um, you know, I think uh, in terms of the trade deals, uh, that's <clears throat> really something to keep an eye on. Um, whether that gets resolved and how it gets resolved uh, is a big issue. Certainly, it's, it's hurt a lot of people, uh, particularly here in the Midwest, in terms of uh, people in the agricultural field, uh, agricultural field, uh, manufacturing, uh, trade industries. Uh, obviously, it's, it's, it's had a very negative impact there. Uh, and if, the, if this continues to grow and accelerate and the tariffs increase and the, the global economy slows, um, you know, that certainly is a legitimate risk. Uh, Tensions over the past few weeks seem to have been rising in the Middle East, in the Persian Gulf. Um, so who knows what's going to happen there. Uh, but in terms of what we do know, uh, I think the, the fundamentals of the economy uh, look pretty good. So, um, you know, it, it's interesting. Uh, all the numbers look positive, yet everybody from Wall Street to the White House is uh, begging the Fed to continue to cut rates um, I, I'm not sure uh, if, that's, if that's the wisest move. Uh, on an, uh, the inflation rate is still below the target of 2%. Again, the job market is strong. Um, so you, know, you wonder if these, uh, if these rate cuts are really more politically motivated than economically motivated to, to make up for some of the damage in the trade wars. So um, you know, that's certainly interesting. But uh, you know, even in the next 12 to 24 months, I think that there is a general consensus that we're due for an economic slowdown, uh, but that doesn't necessarily mean recession. Yeah. It would just mean that job growth slows for, uh, for a couple of quarters and a couple of years and starts rebounding. So even if we do head into a downturn, I wouldn't expect it to be nearly as severe as the Great Recession that we came out of. I think, you know, I think there's still a lot of PTSD surrounding the term recession from what we, what we came out of in 2008, 2009. You know, but that's, you know, a one in 50 year event. Uh, you know, most of the recessions that we've had outside of that have uh, been much more mild. And I would anticipate uh, when the next one does arrive, it would be of the more mild variety. Yeah, I think uh, the, the typical recession is right around eight, six to eight months, is it somewhere on there? Uh, versus what we went through was a pretty, pretty substantial recession. Right. And, but like you said, everybody remembers what just happened, not what's right. happened in the past. A lot of people forget, yeah, 2000 or 2001, whatever that was, we had a, a small recession too. And that, but right. that was for a short period of time, not massive bounce down. And uh, yeah, it, so we'll see where it goes. I've been hearing 12 to 24 months for probably the past, like, 
four or five years now. I think in 2015, it was, uh, we're in the ninth inning. We've got 12 to 24 months. And now in 2019, we're in the ninth inning as well. We've got 12 to 24 months. So we'll see where that goes. It's always interesting to hear. The trade wars, some of the other stuff that you talked about with the political risk and the trade war. And and, and that, in my opinion, is very interesting to see what will happen. How much of our economic, or how much of our economy uh, is driving from manufacturing and from agriculture? Do you know in the Twin Cities? Um, I'm putting you on the spot, so if you don't know, that's okay. Yeah, I, I don't have the hard numbers. Obviously, northern Minnesota has a much greater exposure to agriculture. Um, you know, clearly, uh, that industry has been hurt, particularly uh, in terms of soybeans and pork products. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, not being able to export them. So we have uh, enormous crops that are really just sitting there. Uh, manufacturing, uh, yeah, there's a little bit of a boost uh, initially when, when the steel tariffs first went into uh, to effect. So if you were manufacturing raw steel, you probably did okay. If you were any other firm manufacturing anything that had to do with steel, you got hit hard by price increases. Um, you know, and for, for all the talk of, uh, of manufacturing jobs coming back, I, you know, we're not seeing that. Um, and I don't think it's going to happen uh, regardless. You know, quite frankly, even if we did see a, a large number of manufacturing jobs that were ready to come back to the U.S., uh, we don't have the facilities, the modern production facilities. Not a lot of manufacturing facilities have been built over the last 10, 20 years. So even if those jobs are ready, we don't have the, the facilities for modern production. Uh, so... I wouldn't count on that. Uh, and, who, and who's going to take the chance too? Right. That, that's going to be the biggest struggle. Even if they do come back, if the opportunity comes, it's going to be a struggle to convince companies to take that risk that these jobs aren't just going to be here for the next couple of years. They're not going to be here just when, you know, when whatever, if Trump gets another election, even, uh, you know, that that's only four years. So, or five years. Um, we're not necessarily guaranteed that these jobs are going to stay. So I don't want to take that risk. I think there's going to be a lot of that attitude around, or if I'm going to take that risk, that's fine. But you government get to pay for it. You know? Yeah. Yeah. So, and I, you know, and I, I think uh, there's just fundamental shifts in the manufacturing landscape uh, uh, where, where it's not so much trade agreements. It's really automation that's caused the decline uh, yep. in the manufacturing sector. So I know, um, not too long ago, The Economist uh, news magazine did a study and they found for every one job uh, in manufacturing that was lost due to a trade deal, uh, nine were lost due to automation. So wow. I think that that's a bigger impact than, uh, than trade deals on the sector. Wow. Wow. That, yeah, very interesting. Just, uh, wouldn't have thought it was that high, but yeah, I mean, uh, definitely technology changes are, are drastically affecting it. Yep. Uh, is the Twin Cities uh, bringing in technology jobs? I wouldn't say it's a technology hub. Uh, I think we're trying to grow and attract tech companies. Uh, I think what we do have are, are a lot of locally based, homegrown, organic firms uh, that have sprung up. Um, I would say our, our bigger industry is probably biotech, yeah. you know, with Medtronic and, and some of those other larger firms that we have here. Uh, but uh, in terms of replacing or, or being an offshoot to Silicon Valley, uh, frankly, no, and I, I don't see that happening. Um, you know, we, we have the whole Amazon HQ2 uh, you know, show that went on a couple of years ago. 
um, you know, it didn't work out and, and it, you know, and I, this has never really been a market that's attracted large out of state firms to relocate here. Uh, yeah. So I wouldn't anticipate to, to see that going forward. You know, you look at even our larger firms, Target, Best Buy, three, they're all, you know, essentially homegrown. homegrown. So, uh, you know, the, we're never going to be able to compete with some of the other higher growth markets. Uh, I shouldn't say never, but it seems in the current climate, we're not going to be able to compete with those in terms of incentives to, to uh, lure uh, major companies to relocate here. Definitely. Uh, well, Mike, lots of data so far. Anything else that you want to hit on before we wrap? Yeah, I think you know, overall, uh, again, the, the picture looks good. Our local economic picture in particular uh, is very strong. I think our tight job market uh, has helped in terms of in-migration to the state. Uh, it's been a long time uh, since we've seen people relocating uh, in large quantities from other states to here. I think our job market is very attractive. Uh, uh, Sub 3% unemployment rate, again. Uh, so if you're an employee looking for a job, uh, you have a lot of leverage here. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's fueling a strong uh, commercial real estate sector. Um, you know, again, uh, for the much maligned retail sector, it's still performing relatively well here. We're not seeing major fall-offs. We're seeing a lot of brands refresh. We're seeing a lot of innovation in the industry, new concepts coming along. Uh, industrial continues to boom, and I think we'll see that uh, continuing for a long time as e-commerce continues to grow and the grocery world continues to converge. Uh, the office sector, uh, you know, it's steady. Uh, again, I wouldn't say it's red hot like a Seattle. Uh, but uh, if you have a well-located asset with modern amenities, uh, you're probably going to perform pretty well and attract tenants. And multifamily just continues its uh, seven, eight, nine-year run uh, of exceptional performance. And I think the lack of affordable housing and the lack of building in the single-family residential sector here uh, should keep demand high going forward. Uh, and you know, if we do run into an economic downturn, you know, I think you'll see even greater demand in those class B and lower buildings as uh, affordability will become an, uh, an even more important demand driver. So ironically, uh, if we do head into uh, a downturn, uh, renters of those class A luxury buildings may wind up getting the best deals because that's virtually all that's been built this sector, uh, this, yeah. this expansion. Yeah, there's not there's not a lot of affordable housing being built. So a few companies out there that are they're doing a good job at it, but most companies are, are building the uh, the A class. Yep or A++ class. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. But yeah, I think that the picture looks uh, really good on the Twin Cities, both economically and in, and in terms of commercial real estate. So when's your prediction for an economic downturn? Is it 12 <laughs> to 24 months or is it, uh, is it I, I just have no clue. Because <laughs> mine's yeah. I have no clue. You know, we, we, we kind of have a little joke that uh, economists have predicted uh, seven of the last five recessions. So uh, if we were any good at this, um, you know, we'd be making a lot of money doing something else. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you gotta love it. Awesome. Well, Mike, I appreciate the time. Ton, ton of great uh, value and knowledge. And um, how can our listeners reach out to you if they want to get more information on CoStar and what you guys do with CoStar? Sure. Uh, if they want to drop me an email, uh, it's uh, M-R-O-E-S-S-L-E at CoStar.com. Uh, and if they have any questions about the data or about the product, uh, I'd be happy to get the appropriate person in contact with them. 
Awesome. And you guys obviously provide that information and it's on a, the co-star subscription. If somebody were to sign up, it's on the, the market that they're interested, they would, you know, uh, sign up and pay for that. Is that right? Yeah, that's correct. Uh, I'm, uh, I'm not on the sales side at all. Uh, but if somebody's interested in that, uh, I'm happy to put them in touch and, uh, and get some more information about that. Awesome. Well, we'll put that in the show notes. If people want to reach out to, to you, get that information, do, do a, a call to make, see if it makes sense and, uh, and, uh, move forward. Definitely a, uh, powerful tool. I do know that. So <laughs> great. Awesome. Well, I appreciate it. And you have a fantastic rest of the day. Yeah. Thanks Todd. I appreciate the invite. And uh, it was great talking to you. Definitely. Hey, special thanks to Mike for joining us on the show. Appreciate the value and the insight he was able to give us on the market. This is a little bit different uh, episode that I usually do, so I didn't ask him some of the same questions that I ask most of my guests. But uh, just a real quick recap, you know, he talked about uh, a lot of different sectors and what's going on in, in the market in multifamily, uh, which I, you know, focus on. Uh, where he talked about the the Vacancy is is very low, 4% uh, in many markets, potentially even less uh, or slightly more, but very low. Uh, rent growth is, you know, in Minneapolis is 3.6, which is actually extremely high, even though it might not sound high, but in Minneapolis, it's very high. Uh, in many markets, you're seeing it between three to five, maybe even higher uh, as far as rent growth. And there's really no flashing red lights in, honestly, in any sector, in retail and industrial and office, um, there's no flashing red lights. Everything's right now looking good, which is a time to be cautious for sure when things are looking very, very bright everywhere. We do want to be on our guard, but we also want to continue to push forward, at least in my opinion, uh, push forward if you can continue to, to buy deals that make sense. So we're, we're still undersupplied. Uh, we need a lot more units on the market. We're way, way low on vacancy. So those lend to, uh, honestly, good opportunities to buy. Interest rates are low. So again, appreciate Mike. Uh, the other thing he talked about was with the economy. You know, there's there's mixed messages, but there's no real big flashing lights. Wages are up, beginning to grow, which also lends well to these rent increases. Uh, unemployment's extremely low. There's, of course, political risks. There's trade war risks. There's different risks out there in the market. Um, but again, if you're buying, if you're being prudent, if you're paying attention to the market, if you're understanding where it could go, and you're stress testing your deals, I think you'll be good. Um, to continue to buy as long as you're not being too aggressive. So I just want to talk to you real quick. If, if you have an interest, I am taking a small group of people that want to take their business to the next level. So I've been able to, as most of you know, take a $20,000 and turn that into a net worth of over eight figures and I want to help you do the same thing. And so what I'm doing is creating a group of people who want to have success in real estate and multifamily and take their investing to the next level. And we're going to do a, a group uh, session so you'll be able to learn from me. I'll be bringing in other industry experts, other mentors of mine, people that have had an extreme amount of success. And we'll learn from each other. We'll have opportunities to partner with each other, to do deals with each other, to, to bring um, experience, and just to 
really help build a business that can be powerful, that can create that financial freedom that you're looking for. So if that's something that's on your mind and on your heart and you want to uh, just have a phone conversation with me to see if it's the right fit, I'm not going to take everyone. Um, and I want people that are fully committed. I want people that are 100% in. So if that's something that you think, hey, this might be a fit or I want to learn more, let's just have a one-on-one -on -one phone conversation, short conversation to see if it works, if it's right for you, if it's right for me, and uh, potentially work together. So you can go on to my website. It's coachwithdex.com. It's coachwithdex, D-E-X.com. And you can just fill out a... a the uh, form on the website and see if it's a fit for you. That's it for me. Have a fantastic rest of the day and remember make every day a Saturday. Hey, thanks for listening to the show. A couple things before we go again, go on to our Facebook page, Pillars of Wealth. We'd love to have you on there. Go on to iTunes, give us a rating and review and subscribe to the show. Also, um, you know, don't forget, reach out to me if you want any help with uh, potentially growing your business and reach out to John Styles to help you buy or sell real estate. Thanks for listening. We appreciate it. Have a fantastic rest of the day. And as I say, make every day a Saturday. <laughs>